1: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to cover a couple different stories. Number one, how do I feel about Kevin McCarthy being the Speaker of the House and the process that got him there? Number two, the left continues to prove they're more interested in the power of a cult than they are in science. And then, how do you respond to gossip when you're in leadership? What should you do when people are saying stuff that's just junk? I'm going to cover this and maybe even some more on today's rebellion. Good morning and welcome to the rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. Well, as I said in the introduction, today I'm going to cover a couple different topics. Connected, disconnected, I don't know, but I've been asked a couple questions via text and Facebook messaging, whatnot. How do I feel about a couple news items that I haven't said much about on the rebellion recently. And the the one that uh, I suppose is a conspicuous absence on my part is the Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House situation and the process that led to him being in that position. Is it good? Is it bad? What has it proven with regard to the American system of government? And what does it say about the Republican Party? I'll talk about that. Another question I've been asked is uh, this stuff about science. We have masks, we have vaccines, we have the mainstream media from the Washington Post to the BBC coming out and actually confirming that some of the things those of us who are on the conservative side of the fence have been saying since the onset of COVID, some of the things that we were concerned about warning and warning of are actually not conspiracy theories, they actually are true. And what does that say? Not just the COVID stuff, there's other stuff out there too where the people wave their flag of science when really they could care less about the empirical data. They don't want to have a good debate. They don't want to pursue the truth to its logical end, regardless of politics. By the way, if you really believe in science, that's what you would do. You wouldn't cover up data because you have an agenda. That's not science. That's power. That's scientism. That's the creation of a new religion as opposed to the pursuit of The empirical data the real facts that are out there science doesn't care about your feelings science doesn't care about your personal emotions or your agendas or your politics science is about discovering what is real and true so whether it be masks or vaccines myocarditis gas stoves uh, driving your car not driving your car the european union shutting down farmers and Scotland just recently announcing a, an enforced 30% reduction in the use of private cars. I mean, the list goes on and on. Global warming, climate change, India experiencing record uh, cold temperatures, and therefore hundreds of thousands of people will suffer, and tens of thousands will die as the result of cold, not heat, in India. I mean, the list goes on and on. So I'm going to talk about a variety of different things on today's show, these stories included therein. And if I have time, I'm going to answer the question, why do you not mention any more than two, three, four colleges when you're asked to recommend them? Why are you silent on literally dozens, if not hundreds, of others that claim to be Christian? Why are you so quiet about all the others and you only mention a handful? I'll answer that question if I have time, as well as, what do you do when people are gossiping? If you're in leadership and people are saying stuff that just isn't true, how do you handle it? What's the best response? Okay, some disparate uh, stories today, but I want to answer some questions that have been thrown my way in recent communiques via social media. Facebook, uh, direct messaging via Twitter, or even direct communiques with me via text. I want to answer some of your questions. So let's take a break and when I get back I'll go through these very quickly. I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion and I'll be right back in a couple minutes.
0: The Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance. Plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car. But supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to the Rebellion. Um,
1: let's start out with the Kevin McCarthy Speaker of the House question. I was recently asked by someone via Facebook Messenger, Uh, to comment on this. Uh, It's a routine listener of The Rebellion, and he said, I haven't heard your opinion on Kevin McCarthy as speaker. Well, here's where I am on it. And I realize this is a contentious issue. I have very conservative friends that are going to disagree with what I say right now. But again, I'm going to repeat myself. This is what conservatives do. We debate. We discuss ideas. We disagree. We do it politely We don't get all emotional about it because what are conservatives interested in doing, first and foremost? We're interested in conserving the truth. We're interested in protecting those things that are real. Does that make sense? So with regard to this Speaker of the House issue and Kevin McCarthy, what do I think? Well, in some sense, it doesn't matter what I think. (laughs) But, But I've been asked, so here you go. I'm not a huge fan of McCarthy. I don't think he's a true conservative. I think there would be more conservative people that we could choose to be Speaker of the House, and I think that would be good for our country. However, I don't think that pragmatically and realistically that was in the cards. So here's where we get into what we'll call incrementalism. And I think sometimes conservatives fail at this strategy, whereas the progressives are experts at it. They'll move the ball forward three steps, and then they'll accept getting knocked back two in other words, it's uh, football. If you can run th- up the middle, if, if you can do what Michigan used to do, um, and that is never put the ball in the air, but just pound away three yards, four yards, uh, five yards, six yards, and then r- r- lose and be set back two or three yards. The bottom line is as long as you can gain 10, then you've got a first down. It's incrementalism. It's the nature of football. It's accepting the fact that not every play is going to be a victory, but the ultimate goal is to gain 10 yards, therefore start over again with a first down and move the ball down the field, ultimately to a touchdown. Now, progressives understand this, whereas I think conservatives often fail in this strategy. Uh, I've talked about it with regard to uh, the abortion debate. I do think that uh, every... Every human life is sacred, and we should work as aggressively as we can to protect as many lives as is possible at a given moment. But I've talked about the issue of triage on the battlefield and how the MASH units, the, the medical uh, facilities, you remember the TV series MASH, a medical hospital, a mobile surgical hospital that's out on the front lines, They have to make triage decisions. They want to save every life, but there are times when they can't. So when the helicopters come in with dozens upon dozens upon dozens of injured soldiers, they have to immediately, the surgeons, the medical staff, they have to immediately make, they have to evaluate the situation and decide who to to give more attention to because of the reality. The ugly, evil, sinful reality of warfare. They can't save every one of them. Does that mean they're diminishing the value of human life? Does that mean that they're practicing euthanasia? Or uh, that they're guilty of killing some people while deciding that other people should live? No. They have to make logical, medical, triage decisions. And I think we should approach the abortion situation in the same way. If I can't save all 100 babies that are at risk, but yet a decision that I'm going to make will save 89 of them, whereas if I don't make that decision, I'll continue to lose all 100 of them, or maybe uh, I'll lose 99 of them, or 80 of them, or 70 of them. You get my point. If If I can save 80 or 90, or if I can save 99, or even if I can only save 75 of those, Babies, if my decision results in more human lives being saved rather than less, then I'm going to move the ball down the field. That does not mean that I believe those that died should have. It means that at the end of the day, the day, the increment of time, at the end of the day, if I've saved more lives rather than less, I'm going to move the ball. That's incrementalism. Now, with regard to Kevin McCarthy, I think we should discuss that situation in the exact same terms, incrementalism versus all or nothing. I think this was an example of good arguments equaling good government. I think this was a perfect example of why our system of government actually is better than almost any other, if not every other. Our checks and balances between the three competing branches of government— Judicial, executive, and legislative presupposes arguments, pushback. It presupposes the broken nature of man and that we need to have a correction and that sometimes a stalemate is a good thing rather than a bad thing and that incremental gain is better than nothing. So I applaud the group of 20. Some people said these people are making uh, the Republican Party look uh, foolish. They're making it look like a joke. I disagree. I think this group of 20 demonstrated that when you toe the line and when you push back and you demand a good debate, a good argument, as uncomfortable as it may be, as long as you have a goal, as long as you get something at the end of the argument, and they did. They got concessions from McCarthy and the, and the moderates within the Republican Party. They moved the ball down the field, and I think that is a positive thing. And therefore, I agree with Ben Carson and others who have said this choice uh, McCarthy is is a, is a good choice in light of everything else that's on the table right now. Nobody else, nobody else that was more conservative really put their name forward, and they didn't have a chance if anybody even discussed them. We all know that, and therefore, I think the the group of 20 holding out until the very end and demanding concessions, I think they were very wise and very shrewd, and I think we're better off for it. So that's my view on McCarthy and the process that led to where we are right now. Let's go on to science. The left continues to prove they're more interested in the power of a cult than they are science. And what do I mean by that? Well, let's just go through some of the examples. Number one, we know that masks are ineffective, but yet they've become almost a religious, cultic symbol of virtue. Uh, If if you don't wear a mask, you're a bad person. You're putting people at risk. You're going to get sick, and you're going to spread diseases to everybody else. There are certain hospitals in the United States that still require that you wear a mask when you enter their building. Even though science demonstrates that masks don't work, they're very ineffective. We know that. They don't stop the spread of this virus. Areas that didn't mask, and areas of the country that did, even around the world, not just our country, there's no statistical analysis that proves that masking actually did anything to mitigate the spread of the disease. There isn't any. That's just a fact. Now, you can go out there and say there's stuff, but there isn't. It's not It's not valid. We've got tons of data before COVID that demonstrated that masks don't work. But yet, all of a sudden, COVID comes along, and the government is in this quest for power, and progressives want to control what we do, where we go to church, when we can go to church, when we can't go to church, what stores are going to be open, what stores aren't going to be open. Big Brother starts running our lives and we accept Big Brother's conclusion on science rather than listening to the decades of data that preceded this this pandemic, this crisis. This is this is crazy talk. We know the same thing about vaccines right now. We have the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation as well as the Washington Post, two progressive media outlets that are now talking about The building and compounding evidence that the mRNA technology behind the vaccines, they're really not vaccines. We need to remember that. Again, that's not scientific language. That's not factual language. That aside, we now have the mainstream media, BBC, uh, Washington Post, and others actually admitting that there may be a correlation causation effect between these injections and cardio disease. Now, we've been saying that all along. There have been Doctors from Johns Hopkins to um, Stanford who warned of this, but they were maligned. They were canceled. You had twenty-one-year-old uh, gr- <laughs> pink-haired fact checkers at Twitter and Facebook shutting down the debate. That's not science. That's not science. That's a religious response, and I don't even mean that in Christian terms. Christianity pursues truth to its logical end. We've got we've got historical as well as as empirical reasons to believe that Christianity is true. But this is like Greek mythology. This is like um, Jim Jones' cultish attitudes, where you're shutting down anybody that disagrees. That's not Christianity. That's the behavior of a cult, and that's what's taking place with regard to this uh, banner of science being waved over these political agendas that are laden with power. Uh, I mean, you've got the mask, you've got the vaccines, you've got the reality of myocarditis and other Other people dying or getting very sick in inexplicable ways. And you now have people that are actually willing to listen to the scientists that were warning of this all along. And then you've got all this nonsense about gas stoves. The government wants to stop us from buying gas stoves because they're contributing to global warming when there's no data. There's no data to support that conclusion. In fact, the research that is out there with regard to the difference between you using a gas powered grill or stove in your home versus one that's electric. There's, the research shows that there is no evidence of greater air contamination as the result of using gas rather than electricity. That's just a fact. And by the way, I'll say it again, where does the electricity come from? You have to have a power plant to produce the electricity. You don't use electricity to produce electricity. You've got to have some source to produce that particular form of energy called electricity. And those sources are coal-fired plants or natural gas-fired plants. Predominantly, over 80% of our energy capacity comes from burning fossil fuels. And that is true when it comes to the production of electricity. So when you plug something into the wall, that electricity that you're plugging into has to come from something. And it's coming from an energy plant that is fueled by coal or natural gas predominantly because the left wants to shut down nuclear power and you don't get your electricity from windmills. Um, that's a very small percentage of what you're getting. And the effectiveness of that is being called into question because the windmills have to be produced. You know, the actual uh, uh, structure of the windmill, the windmill itself, has to be manufactured. And what's it manufactured out of? It's manufactured out of products that come from, <laughs> come from fossil fuels. You have to make these things. You have to burn fossil fuels to make these things. You have to mine products. so You have to produce things out of the petroleum industry to get the windmills themselves and make them and put them up. I mean, the craziness of saying that somehow electricity just comes out of thin air, is nuts. It's anything but science. If that isn't blind faith, I don't know what is. You're just going to plug a cord into the wall, and you're going to have blind faith that electricity comes out of the wall, and it didn't come from somewhere? It's asinine, and it's stupid. And it's so, so self-righteous and smug for people to claim that that's a better source uh, uh, of, uh, uh, for cooking, uh, that, that electric grills are better than gas stoves. Nonsense. And then you have this story coming out of India. They're suffering record cold temperatures for the last decade there. And the data shows that people die in greater numbers, greater percentages, as the result of cold weather rather than hot weather. They've got the data on that. So if you really care about poor people in India, if you really care about your environment, if you really care about people's health, their heart Uh, Their heart health, if you care about myocarditis, if you care about all these inexplicable cases of heart disease, um, if you care about the science of vaccines and masks, and how about the farmers being put out of business in the European Union? For what? It's not because of science. It's because of political power. And Scotland just announced this week that they're enforcing a 30% reduction in the private use of cars. Why? Because of climate change and global warming. This is crazy talk. There is no data to support the fact that this is going to do anything. And even if it did reduce CO2 emissions in Europe by some infinitesimal amount, you've got to remember that China and Russia, they're building these power plants that burn coal and dirty energy. They're building them by the dozens. So what do you think you're doing? You're putting yourself at the mercy of these people that don't care and they're laughing at you. Because they'll conquer you because you're being stupid. You're being lied to is the bottom line here. And we need to wake up and recognize it. All right, so here's another story. I've been asked uh, why when, I, when I'm when i on the Glenn Beck Show or anyplace else and I'm asked to give my recommendations of colleges, I've been asked, why are you silent about the hundreds of Christian colleges out there that claim to have essentially the same mission as the two or three or four that you recommend? Well, here, here's my answer. The answer is simple. It's the sin of omission versus the sin of commission. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, you can be guilty as an institution, a church, a college, a corporation. You can be guilty even as an individual of sins of commission. Now, what does that mean? That means you're committing a sin, commission. You're overtly doing something, most times unknowingly so, that's wrong. And you're lying, you're stealing, uh, you're, you're unfaithful. These are sins of commission. You have decided to commit an act, a sin of commission, a commission of an act. A com- you're doing something that's wrong and you know it. And that is defined as a sin of commission. Now, what's a sin of omission? Well, in that case, it's not necessarily the commission of an act. It's the omission of doing what's right. In other words, you're seeing something take place. You're watching this train wreck, and you do nothing to stop it. You didn't cause the train wreck. You didn't go out and put something on the tracks to to derail the cars, but you know someone else did, and you said nothing about it. That's a sin of commission. And many would argue it's equal to, in terms of its gravity and personal guilt to the sin of commission. If you're sitting back and watching Hitler kill the Jews, for example, and you do nothing about it, then can you wash your hands of this evil? Can you cleanse your conscience of this sin? All the Christians who were silent during the Holocaust, all of the Christians in Germany or elsewhere around the world that were silent in the face of this Holocaust when they saw the building evidence of what was going on and they said nothing about it, were they innocent? Well, the answer is no. And almost everyone listening to me on this show right now would agree. It goes back to this this Bonhoeffer quote. Not to speak is to speak, and not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. What is Bonhoeffer confronting? He's confronting the sin of omission, not necessarily commission. He's saying when you don't speak and when you don't act, you're guilty of the evil just as much as are those that are doing it actively. You're, you're complicit in the sin. That's the sin of omission. So what's that have to do with colleges? Well, or churches, let's just refer to, the, to them as one category, colleges and churches. There's a statement that one of my friends put out on Facebook recently, and I'm going to read that to you. It expresses exactly how I feel about this and why I remain silent. Or, you know, I'm not silent. I do recommend College of the Ozarks. I do recommend Hillsdale College. I do recommend New St. Andrews College University up in Moscow, Idaho. I think Cedarville College in Cedarville, Ohio is also a good institution. I think what Colorado Christian University is doing in terms of its conservative summit is good. Uh, There are uh, maybe another one or two colleges out there that um, I just haven't thought of yet. But people ask, well, why are you silent on all of the others? Institutions that you even worked for and championed. Well, it gets into this issue of omission versus commission. Here's what Wesley Mack says on Facebook. Many are expressing alarm with the almost universal lack of guidance and leadership or genuine biblical counsel coming from the ecclesiastical class in our ever more darkening and hostile world. I would encourage, says Mack, such contemporary spiritual leaders to take their pacifiers out of their mouths, get out from under their bubble-wrapped, domed existence of pacifistic uh, protectionism, that's his language, and grab the entirety of the authentic biblical doctrine, go to their search engines, and take a look at the lives of some who literally transformed their societies, their nations, and the world by their fearless, bold proclamation of the good news of the gospel. This is still Wesley Mack here. He goes on, here are just a few names they can start with. He says this, St. Paul, who boldly confronted the emperor of the most powerful nation that existed, and that empire was converted to Christianity. Count Zinzendorf, who risked his fortune and his life to promote the gospel. Martin Luther and John Calvin, who changed the world forever. William Wilberforce, John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, Gilbert Tennant, John Winthrop, Hannah Heaton, Phyllis Wheatley, Sarah Osborne, and many others who transformed their cultures, societies, and nations through their relentless proclamation of the good news and created nations founded upon the truths of biblical doctrine. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Niemuller, to name just a couple who defied the government and its power and influenced the takedown of the brutal Nazi regime. Charles Fenney. Dwight L. Moody and many others whose biblical, authentic, spirit-filled preaching and bold proclamation transformed their generations, and I could go on and on. Lord, do it again. That's Wesley Mack. So why am I silent on these other institutions? It's because they're ignoring what Wesley Mack is saying right now. If you're not stepping into the public square and saying something against this anti-science nonsense of masking and forced quote-unquote, vaccinations, if you're not stepping into the mix, into the fray, and leading rather than following when it comes to the global warming climate change debate, when you refuse to bring speakers to your campus because you don't want to get into that controversial issue, when you won't take on the issue of pro-life, pro-choice, which is right and which is moral and which is good, when you won't stand against the butchery of our youngest children, when you won't speak about these things, when you've got drag queen parties in your local public park and you're not a leader standing against this, you're somehow silent watching it from the sidelines, I have no respect for you. Why? Because I don't know what you believe. If you're out there just talking about feelings, if you're if you're out there saying, well, we believe in truth, but we're going to talk about grace more aggressively right now than truth. Uh, it's not that I disagree with grace. I don't think that's wrong. But when you're relatively quiet about the truths of our time and you're not willing to take on these battles, like a Jonathan Edwards did or a William Wilberforce did or John and Charles Wesley did. Remember, it was John Wesley who reportedly said, set yourself afire and the and the world will beat a path to your doorstep just to watch you burn. Set yourself afire with what? Uh, niceness? Uh, middle-of-the-road discussions of grace? No, that's not what he was saying. And by the way, grace and kindness, grace and niceness are not synonymous. Grace in the Bible is God's unwarranted grace, his forgiveness of your sins. It's It's a reality of the ugly nature of our existence and that God has given you grace through Jesus Christ, it's not niceness, it's not kindness, that's not synonymous with grace. Grace is unmerited favor from God. That's what grace is. It's not you and I being nice to one another and refusing to confront one another when we're guilty of sin. Uh, So when you hear of Bonhoeffer and Neumuller and, and Wilberforce and John and Charles Wesley and Martin Luther and the Apostle Paul, recognize that they were willing to step into the public square and call a spade a spade. And why am I silent on colleges and churches? Well, it's because they're saying nothing about these particular issues. All right, that's the hodgepodge for the day. Thanks for listening in. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.